This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, December 27th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Omicron rattles San Miguel to the core, COVID cancellations return, a look back, the free box, and a mountain weather forecast. San Miguel County continues to move through a serious COVID outbreak, with nearly 300 active cases reported in the last week. I think it's going to continue to get worse. That's San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin. Hospitalization and deaths tend to lag three to four weeks from um, from symptoms and cases starting. Um, So I think we should mentally prepare for um, seeing a greater impact. And then also the impact and strain on our health care system is going to continue. On Friday, County Public Health reported over 200 active COVID cases, and Franklin says individuals have continued to report positive rapid tests over the weekend. Which has been clocking in around 20 to 30 cases every day, um, which is really encouraging to see people reporting out, um, but it's discouraging to see such high numbers continuing to filter in. Franklin says based on community testing on Sunday, there are over 500 more tests waiting to process. There was additional testing on Monday. On the local level, Franklin says she's seen a shift in the community when it comes to the outlook on COVID. She says it's a coupling of Omicron's ability to evade the vaccine. That coupled with the fact that um, we've had such high vaccination rates in our county, it's shifted how people view the virus and how we go about our day-to-day business. And this is really rattling us to our core and challenging those norms because it is a different strain and we have to approach it differently. And while it may seem like nearly everyone in Telluride is currently infectious, Franklin notes it's important to keep your guard up. I would caution too that although this is definitely a much more infectious variant and um, we have such high numbers in our county, that doesn't mean we should throw in the towel, we we should let go of all precautions, because each little step really does make a difference and can prevent somebody who's vulnerable from getting really sick. Current incident and positivity rates have San Miguel County firmly in level red on the state's COVID dial. However, Franklin says that doesn't necessarily mean public health will be implementing more restrictive public health measures. We've moved past the unknown place that we were at the very beginning where we did close down because we didn't have enough information to respond appropriately. Um, Now we have the tools to really mitigate risk as much as possible, and that's wearing masks indoors, it's getting a test before hanging out with vulnerable people, um, and just keeping those your friend group small and consistent. And so I don't think we need to um, go back to the extremes that we once were, and the need for connection is all the more important right now, um, but we can go about it in a more mindful and intentional manner. Mindful and intentional and leading with love. I think that there's been a lot of shift in hope, right? Um, This has been really hard to go back to such a dire situation compared to where we've been. Um, But I feel like it's important to recognize 
that we're so much better off today than we were even last year. Um, but the risk is not the same for all of us. So it's just really how do we approach these increasingly complex situations and questions in a way that continues to be empathetic and passionate um, to our community and really um, keep the human aspect of this approach. I think that increased need to care for one another is really um, what we need as a community right now. Public health is urging extreme caution as COVID continues to surge in San Miguel County. Testing is available Monday through Friday across the county. Registration is available at sanmiguelcountyco.gov slash coronavirus. 2020 was the year of the pivot and the cancellation. In many ways, 2021 was the year everything came back until the holidays hit. Over the weekend, the Sheridan Opera House announced it is canceling its holiday concert series. It's our largest fundraiser of the winter. It's a huge deal. Tons of planning goes into it. Obviously, we want a lot of people to come. Um, so it wasn't um, an easy decision. And there was a lot of going back and forth and just trying to figure it out, especially because we're working with um, different artists for each night. Um, and it kind of has to be, you know, mutually decided upon, I would say, um, for that to work. That's Maggie Stevens, marketing director for the Sheridan Opera House. She says the Opera House decided to postpone the Warren Miller film. Then one act decided to back out due to COVID concerns. Eventually, the Opera House had to pull the trigger and cancel the entire week of events. It's just uh, too, too much of a risk, too many stresses with um, short staff and having all these artists travel in. Um, and, and just not really knowing what the next few days are going to be like. Um, so, yeah, we just just felt like with the explosion of cases here, that was the right thing to do, the safe thing to do. Um, so not an easy decision, but, but we feel like it's the right one for sure. Stevens says the Opera House plans to have John Oates and Kiltro back for a show before the end of the winter season. And, and we'll always be looking to have Jewel and Yonder. That's, you know, without question, anytime we can have them, we will have them. Taking the cautious approach to the final week of 2021, Stevens says the Opera House is looking forward to a number of events coming later in the winter and spring. We're very hopeful that Omicron is going to kind of burn burn bright but burn burn out quickly and we'll be back we're still moving forward with everything for the rest of the season um you know we've got lots of shows in january february march so um and we have all these um safety precautions in place that we're that we're working um got you know industrial molecule air purifiers people following the mask mandate, and then obviously making sure people are vaccinated or have a negative COVID test to get in the doors. So, um, yeah, I think I think once Omicron calms down, we will we'll be back to normal operations. But it is still an end of the year blow to a music and art venue that has seen its fair share of bumps during COVID. We thrive when we have a lot of people in the building, and that's, that's how we um, support ourselves along with donations and stuff. But um, <laughs> that's what we can't do during a pandemic. So it's it's constantly trying to figure that out and how to still survive as a nonprofit, still give back to the community as much as we can. And, um, you know, we definitely feel like um, 
music and art and, and theater and all these great things, everything um, that all the nonprofits who rent from us do too, um, it feeds the soul and it, and it becomes very necessary. And you can see that like when we've had shows that after kind of um, things have calmed down and everything and everybody's able to be there, people are just so happy to experience music in the theater and, and be together. Um, so it's really hard when we have to kind of offer these these opportunities and then take them away. Ticket holders to the holiday concert series can get refunds. Individuals are also welcome to gift their tickets as donations to the Opera House. As 2021 draws to a close, KOTO News is looking back and rerunning some of the big stories of the last year. Today, we're rewinding to May when the free box was still closed down and Telluride Town Council was beginning conversations about what the future of it should look like. Ahead of those discussions, KOTO's Matt Hoish took the long view and put together this free box history. Next week, the Telluride Town Council will discuss the future of a storied part of town where people have been dropping off and finding this and that for years, the free box. According to Mayor Delaney Young, the conversation will focus on a handful of questions. Does the free box go away? Does the free box survive? If the free box does survive, does it stay where it is? Does it move somewhere else? Or what other options are on the table? The conversation, Young says, was supposed to happen last May, but the pandemic pushed it back. And this isn't the first time town has asked these questions. Since its inception over four decades ago, the free box has been a site of both discovery and controversy. As next week's discussion approaches, KOTO took a look back at the history of the Telluride free box. Of course, it all started in the 1970s with a box. Michael Saffler was working at the Lost Branch, a health food store on Pine Street. One day, he says a friend walked in and said, Can I leave this box here? And I said, what for? And she said, well, it's got some things in it that are kind of nice and they'd probably be helpful for somebody else. And I'm leaving town and rather than throw them away, I thought that it might be better to recycle. And he said, how are we going to tell people? And she says, well, I made up this little sign. Um, it says, uh, take free. Literally within two days, not only did half of the stuff that she brought leave, but stuff started to come. Eventually, one box became two, two became three. Then Saffler says they had to put it outside the store on the sidewalk, and it kept growing. What do you think about the uh, free box? The free box. I think it's a great public institution, and I think it should remain uh, in Telluride. Wait a minute. Who should take care of it? Well, somebody should. Interviews by Kodo News with unnamed people on the streets of Telluride in October 1977, after the Telluride Board of Trustees voted to remove the free box if no one took responsibility for it. What do you think about the free box? I think it's really terrible. It's becoming a health hazard. No one's really putting a lot of energy into keeping it up, taking things that no one ever wants. I noticed you're looking for things in the free box. I am. Did you know that the town uh, has said that if someone or somebody or organization doesn't take care of it, they're going to get rid of it? Oh, really? Yeah. What do you think about that? I would um, not be getting a lot of clothes. Do you find a lot of things in here? <laughs> a lot. Have you ever cleaned it yourself? Uh, no, I haven't, as a matter of fact. There's been several times that I've wanted to, yeah. like everybody else, you know. Who do you think should take care of it? I don't know. The Freebox survived that early antipathy, and in 1978, 
according to the Freebox, a Telluride tradition, a 2002 book by Britt Overby and Lise Waring, two locals, Kathy Noble and Heather Bachman, constructed the first wooden Freebox. A square with five cubbies. And do you remember the first time you saw the Freebox? It was probably on that fall, like early October 1978, because we wandered all over downtown before we went camping in Bear Creek. Kathy Green and her husband, Chuck Kroger, moved to town in the late 70s. That spot at Pine in Colorado, Green explains, was one of the main gathering points in town because the post office used to be across the street from the free box. And so everybody was there every day. You walked by the free box, you went to the post office, you could walk by the free box, put something really cool in it while you were standing in line at the free box, you could see who took it. You know, it was kind of cool to see. In 1983, the five cubby free box was hauled away when town did work on the sidewalk but it didn't come back. Enter a crew of passionate locals, including Susan Sante. Because of my interest through the years in politics, I knew the structure of the town and what had to be done, and complaining about it wasn't going to do it. Sante had moved to town a few years earlier and had experience as an art teacher. She designed a new free box, and, according to the free box book, presented that along with a petition with signatures from about half the town's population in favor of the free box to the Historic and Architectural Review Commission. We wanted to make it attractive, functional, uh, well thought out. Park approved the design, and that's the box that still sits there today. By the time Harold Wanzell moved to town in 1987, he already had experience with the free box in Berkeley, California, though he notes that had its issues. It was a pile on two picnic tables in a park. And here I get to tell you, right, and here's this incredible, well-constructed, well-thought-out free box in a great location, out of the rain, and people took care of it then. In 2008, when town was once again having discussions around the future of the free box, Wanzell stepped up. According to a memo at the time from then-town manager Frank Bell, town was spending about $58,000 annually on free box upkeep. Wanzell had an idea. The meeting we had in 2008, 70 people showed up, and it was held at the firehouse, and I said, look, we need a volunteer organization. We can call it the Friends of the Free Box or something, and it stuck. For the next seven years, Wanzell and a crew of Friends of the Free Box volunteers maintained the box, routinely cleaning up and clearing away unwanted items. But when Wanzell left town about five years ago, he says he struggled to find someone to pick up the mantle, and ultimately had to ask the town to maintain it again. Telluride works best when stuff is in crisis, and the free box was not in crisis, and I think everybody took it for granted. Now, the fate of the free box is once again up for discussion. And just like before, many are in support of it, but others less so. Sam Siegel has owned the building behind the free box for most of its existence and says in the last few years, sidewalk clutter and disorganized cubbies have made it an eyesore. It speaks to a lot of who we are or who we think we should be. The box is sort of the symbol of that, but the box has become a tool that doesn't work to accomplish that goal. Next week, the latest chapter in free box history will begin. Mary Young notes the town expects there to be more conversations beyond this Tuesday's town council meeting.
the communities too invested in the free box to leave this at one work session. The deadline to submit public comment to be included in the town council meeting packet is this Friday. Of course, the free box did survive. KOTO News was also on site when the boards came down in August and the Telluride Institution reopened. The free box is free once more. Boarded up in March 2020, it was one of the first local casualties of the COVID pandemic. Now, a year and a half later, the community institution is reopened. I couldn't be happier. I was heartbroken the day it got closed and I had no idea I would be standing here you know, being um, one of the people to open it back up. So I'm just thrilled and I couldn't be happier. This is a dream come true. That's Becky Boehm, Freebox supervisor. The boards came down and sat in the cubbies is over a year of discarded clothes, some broken toys and dust. A lot of dust. It's a time capsule of sorts. This is what was in there. Yeah. In March, the- what, 15th, 2020? 2020, yeah. Looks like it. Not all of the relics are treasures. There's some trash in here so far down here. Some mismatched shoes. Yeah, definitely there's some stuff in here we wouldn't recommend leaving. Underwear, that's just, you know, we don't need to have that. It's a good reminder of how to love the free box the right way. Well, a good motto uh, to keep in mind is share respectfully. You know, don't don't bring items here that you wouldn't wear or that are stained or ripped, you know, especially clothing wise. Um, please no electronics. Trying to keep items off of the sidewalk, just in the box only. No trash. This isn't a trash dump. No paints, no furniture, things like that. Be respectful. You know, think about it being your home. And, you know, if we can all treat it and love it just the same and respect it the way it should be, I think it's going to be a huge success. As the box reopens, a local or two peek around Pine Street to witness the moment. Local artist Brendan Burkle comes to collect one of the murals that adorned the plywood panels. I come for my turtle bird. Oh, that's yours? Yeah. Cool. Do you want to take it? Yeah, I'll take it. Sweet. That's awesome. It's yours. Sweet. Turtle bird. Turtle bird. Cool. This is so exciting. Yeah, I'm not going to overload it. Like, I hope people don't. Yeah, me too. As for Boehm, she has a small pile of items waiting to put in the free box, and she's keeping an eye out as well. A winter coat. <laughs> winter coat and winter boots. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> The pandemic may not be over, but signs of the funky, weird Telluride are coming back to life. One Telluridian's trash can be another's treasure once more. There's something beautiful, special, and magic about bringing a tree into your home, decorating with lights and ornaments, a sign to celebrate the season. But come December 26th, that Christmas tree may have well turned into a pumpkin. Fear not. San Miguel County is accepting trees for recycling at the Church Camp parking lot at the Ilium-Sunshine Mesa Road intersection. Christmas tree recycling is currently available and will run through January 31st. No other debris will be accepted and trees must be free of all lights and decorations. Start 2022 off on the right foot by taking a step into nature, 
Colorado Parks and Wildlife will be hosting first day hikes on January 1st, 2022 at state parks across Colorado. Ridgeway State Park will be hosting a guided mile hike on Forest Discovery Trail at 10 a.m., marshmallow roasting at 10.30, and a guided three-mile hike of Wapiti and Twin Falls at 2 p.m. All hikes meet at the Visitor Center. There are also self-guided hike brochures for Oak Leaf Nature Trail, Dallas Creek Nature Trail, and Forest Discovery Trail. Hikes are free, but visitors must have a valid park pass. CPW recommends bringing snacks, water, extra layers, and hiking shoes. And keep in mind COVID-19 health guidelines. A new paper from two leading water experts explores the future of managing a shrinking supply from the Colorado River. Ann Castle co-authored the paper. She says the best policies have come when dry conditions make things more urgent, and states have previous water policies that can be taken off the shelf and used again. We've seen in the past the basin and the major stakeholders come together and take action to prevent those kinds of devastating consequences, and that's what needs to happen right now. The threat of federal intervention also helps push states to expedite their water management policies. Water managers in the river basin are bracing for cutbacks and more drought heading into 2022. Fourteen new laws passed by the Colorado legislature take effect on Saturday, January 1st. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. Among the new laws, the state can no longer withhold driver's licenses from residents because of unpaid parking tickets or court fees. Another mandates a three-day trial period for online dating applications. And there are two aimed at making it easier for victims of sexual assaults to file lawsuits in civil court. Senate Bill 73 removes the six-year time limit that victims previously had to sue their abusers. Senate Bill 88 will allow children who were sexually abused to sue the institutions that did not stop or prevent it. I'm Scott Franz at the State Capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a 90% chance of snow showers tonight with a low around 15 degrees. Two to four inches of snow accumulation is possible. Winds could gust as high as 35 miles per hour. Tuesday, expect snow showers with a high in the mid-20s during the day and a low around 10 degrees at night. Two to six inches of snow accumulation is possible. Winds could gust as high as 20 miles per hour. Wednesday, snow showers are likely with a high near 25 degrees. Wednesday night calls for snow showers with a low around 10. There is a winter weather advisory in effect through Wednesday. This has been the news for Monday, December 27th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.